He might not be called Maverick or Iceman or even Goose, but he's been in the real-life scenarios that those men were in the films Top Gun and Top Gun Maverick. Tim Gamash joins the show today to talk about his experience as a U.S. Navy Top Gun aviator and how later in life he was led to a relationship with God that he had put on the back burner for far too long. Tim talks about that and more in his book, Top Gun for God, and we discuss it all on this episode of Pick Up the Six Podcast. It's a great conversation, heavy on the faith side of things, and one I am pumped to bring you along for. This is Pick Up the Six Podcast. Hey guys, Brian Jodis back for another episode of Pick Up the Six Podcast, and it's Tim Gamash who joins me better known as Gooch in the Navy world. We'll hear a little bit about that. He's a Naval aviator, retired as a commander. And uh, you guys might've maybe seen a a small film. There's two of them that have been out called Top Gun. Uh, Tim's a part of that as well, having uh, spent time there and flown some of the Navy's most elite fighters. So I'm just excited to do it and and have this conversation. So uh, thanks so much for having me. Dude, thrilled. This is is a God thing that brings us together today. And we're going to talk about your book, Top Gun for God, which I'm excited about. Just got a copy of it in the mail from my man the other day. So this has got, I think, Easter break read written all over it, which will be good time for that. I was in South Carolina about a week ago from when I'm recording this podcast, and we'll we'll air this next week. And uh, I was down there, and you guys probably saw on Instagram and our social media platforms, we'll be sharing more here on the Pick Up the Six platform with my buddy Adam Cooper, Marine Corps veteran. And my great friend, Lowell Copper, Green Beret, Army guy, and a bunch of other just incredible humans, special operators, veterans, and just patriots down supporting Adam Cooper for this 22-hour workout for veterans, mental health, suicide prevention, and awareness. And Adam just freaking put it on the line, man, for 22 hours. And I think the longest he'd ever been on a stair climber was five or six hours. His goal was 10 to 12. This dude legit was on the stair climber or the bike for 22 hours, minus a few bathroom breaks. And just did amazing work. And again, we'll share more about that experience. But we're standing there on Thursday morning. He started on Wednesday afternoon, 4 p.m., went till 2 p.m. on Thursday afternoon, uh, March the 2nd. And this uh, tall drink of water that looks like he's pretty fit, uh, wearing a Navy shirt, comes walking in, and that's uh, Tim Gamash. And and uh, and he said, I need to get over here and see you guys and, and meet Adam and just be a part of this because it was something that was near and dear to him. So that was a cool that was cool. You kind of just came walking in there that day. What, what, for the pu- purpose of that, we'll get to know you, hear your story. How, how'd you find out about that event? How'd you end up there? So I've got a friend, Lee Bodie, who works for the State Department of Mental yep. Health. Got to meet Lee. Lee great dude. Yeah, great dude. And he sent me a link and said, hey, you may be interested in this. And then the next morning on uh, Thursday morning, I was watching uh, Fox News, Fox and Friends on Fox yeah. News. Yeah. And they reported live with Lowell and Adam on the, on the uh, stair climber. And I just said, you know, I got to go by there. I uh, love to support Adam because man, what a, I mean, what a stud getting on there yeah. 22 hours and just to bring awareness to, I mean, 22 suicides a day among veterans. It's just, it's just a tragedy. And I was like, I'd love to just walk in support him. And I, like you said, I wrote this book. I was like, Hey, I'll just share a book with him. And yeah. Noel, I didn't know you were there at the time, but I would have brought one for you right away. All but, good, uh, brother. All good. We got it so, now, man. We got it now. Yeah. So, so I just wanted to connect with them and just, just really support Adam. You know, I know it's, I can't imagine I don't like cardio at all. And he's doing it for 22 hours. So I was like, yeah. just to walk in there and say, Hey, you know, great job, man. I just appreciate what you're doing. So yeah. that really motivated me to come, come by and say hi. 
Yeah, it was great. We'll uh, we'll share more pictures, videos. Go to the Instagram account at Pick Up the Six. We put a little teaser clip up. I'm working on some other things, to kind of document the day. And you're right, man. It, it is an absolute pandemic that is sweeping the nation. This idea that these warriors come home, specific to veteran suicides, warriors come home having been asked on behalf of our nation to take on quite a bit. And some come home with wounds you can see, it, and and many come home with those that you can't. And this idea that they get isolated, get by themselves and do this one irreversible thing that we can't overcome, it breaks your heart, but it also gets folks motivated and got Adam motivated. That's why he wanted to just bring some awareness to it. Last thing on it, and then we'll chat with you a little bit. I got to just give a huge shout out to those folks at Frox and Friends. They brought those guys live on the air while they were doing it. And uh, Sean Hannity on, had me on his show at the very end of his show yesterday, March 7th. So if you guys want to go try to find it and I'm going to pull it up too. And we got to talk about what they did. So just that only helps to spread this message uh, that Adam was trying to do. So really incredible. All right, let's get to know Tim, right? Let's get to right. know you, man. Uh, born and raised in Burlington, Vermont. You end yes. up in the Navy, uh, Annapolis guy, right? Yeah. Um, end up flying F-14, Tomcats, right? F I think F-18s as well better known as the super yes. Hornet. Those are the airplanes yeah. that legit you guys see in Top Gun. When you watch Top Gun yeah. and you see them doing all those maneuvers and the original and the new one, which I thought was freaking great. When you see mm -hmm. all of that happening, those are those F-14s and F-18s. And spoiler alert, if you go see the new one, uh, they bring they bring the old school one back in there. It's a pretty incredible moment. Which was anyways, awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. We're going to unpack all that because I want you to tell me how yeah. much that's real and bogus. But yeah. Uh, and my dad, Air Force aviator, I don't think he's seen it yet. I always joke, hey, what do your dad think of Top Gun? I'm like, I don't know. He was in the Air Force. He doesn't care. Yeah. Um, your path, though, to the Navy, right, to Annapolis, to then ultimately doing one of the biggest sort of training schools in the Navy, which is that Top Gun school. Yeah, so grew up in Burlington, Vermont, like I said, and my, my first conscious thought was airplane. One day I said to my mom, you know, I think I said airplane before mommy or daddy, and she confirmed that fact. So just yeah. wanted to fly my whole life. I actually had, I was born with a lazy eye. So my left eye crossed terribly. So I needed two surgeries as a child. So that's why I couldn't be a pilot because these surgeries affected depth perception. So kind of important to have good depth perception as a pilot. And uh, so I was still eligible for the backseat. So yeah. my whole life wanted to fly, um, you know, got into high school. My cousin graduated class of 84 from the Naval Academy. So went to his graduation. And as soon as I stepped on campus, I was like, I have to go here. This is the place for you. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, fortunately, I was blessed with athletic talent. So I was a um, basketball player, but football, I was recruited as a quarterback and recruited to play at Navy. Long story there, but it wasn't going to work out. And I wrote a letter to one of the coaches, the recruit, the coach who was recruiting me and basically said, you may not think I can play there, but I can. And it was a total God thing. Mm. He connected me with a man in New Jersey who got me into a prep school, which basically got me an automatic appointment into the Naval Academy um, after one year of prep school to get my SATs up and stuff. So I ended up at Navy, um, quickly found out I wasn't that good at football um, compared to other guys. And I found out I wasn't very good at studying either. So I had to make a choice, study mm -hmm. or play football. So gave up football after a year and just focused on, on academics. And uh, as everything worked out, there's a whole other story. You'll read it in the book um, that basically I was told I couldn't even be a backseater my senior year at the Naval Academy. Oh, geez. And yeah, so um, there was a there was a the officer in charge of aviation programs there. Talked to him. He immediately made a phone call, got me a waiver. And next thing I know, I'm going off to Pensacola to be a radar intercept officer. 
Uh, finished it there, got my wings of gold in 92, went out to Miramar, California, and uh, started flying Tomcats. And just, um, you know, I wanted to fly so badly. And, you know, then Top Gun came out and the original Top Gun and just and then everybody want everybody yeah, wanted to do it exactly so it's like the yeah, navy seal so, movie right like no joke there are guys that join those elite warfighter teams because of charlie sheen in that movie they've told me that right like because you see like yeah. that's badass like i want to be that exactly yeah so i uh, just got there loved it um finished my first fleet tour went to top gun uh and unlike the movies we didn't play beach volleyball Damn we didn't it. play oh, beach football yeah it was <laughs> it was 10 weeks of intense, intense yeah. training. I mean, 18 hour days, you know, you're briefing first thing in the morning yeah. for an hour and a half flight, you debrief for up to six hours at times, just picking out every little lesson you can learn from it. Extremely intense. Uh, so did that, graduated from there, um, and then went on to do other jobs after that. Once you graduate, you're considered, a, they're called a strike fighter tactics instructor. So you are a, essentially a graduate student or graduate um, you know, uh, mm -hmm. master's degree in tactics. So from then on, you're expected to teach everyone, every squadron you go yeah. to, you're the teacher, you show up, you're supposed to be the expert in tactics, all the latest equipment, how to employ it. So the rest of your career, you're expected to do that. So um, kept flying uh, in 2000 transition to super Hornets. So I was a weapon systems officer in the F 18 F as you saw in the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, and did that for so my my hours, my experience. I had about 1,650 hours in the F-14 and about 1,400 hours in the F-18. So kind of an equal mix of both. Yeah. Um, and and then, you know, finished my flying time, did about six more years in other jobs, uh, which one of those jobs led me to Texas where I uh, discovered that I need a relationship with Jesus. So mm. um, it was, and there was some... Uh, what's from the world's and the Navy's perspective, some failure in there that resulted in me being able to take that job. So it was actually, once again, yeah. I saw the hand of God and everything. Yeah. That no, no coincidence, so. my friend, right? It's only exactly. the creator taking action and choosing to remain anonymous about the results. That's how we define coincidence around here. All right, let, let me do this. Cause I want to lean in a little bit to like when you're actually in the aircraft and just for mm -hmm. our listeners, we've got a lot of folks that, that probably know, but lean in, right. The weapon system officer known as the Wizzo, right? Sometimes I know that's yeah. what the air force guys call it. I'm sure you guys do yeah. too. What yeah. is that? What is that guy or gal's job? Right. And we can see it in the movie. Some, right. We, we get maybe a sense of it, right. Not every aircraft has it. When you're in an F-16, you're by yourself, right. When yeah. you're in an F-15, you've got a, a guy or gal back there with you. Uh, same thing in some of the aircraft that are you in. So, so what's a Wizzo doing in, in both of those aircraft? So really it's, you split the, the tasks, you know, a single seat airplane, the pilot has to do everything. He has to fly the airplane. You know, he has to safely employ the airplane, has to maneuver the airplane, and he has to run the radar, the infrared pod, any other systems that they have in the airplane. Well, the nice thing about a two seat airplane is a pilot can concentrate on that. He can concentrate, keeping his eyes out, finding visually, you know, enemy targets, uh, enemy airplanes, things like that while maneuvering the airplane, whereas the Wizzo in the backseat of the Rio and F-14s, I can actually focus on using my sensors to find whatever target, whether it's an air-to-air -air target or air-to-ground target. I am fully dedicated to that while the pilot maneuvers the airplane, uh, both offensively and defensively, looks for threats. So it's it's great, especially in a high task saturated, like like in the movie Top Gun, the um, Top Gun Maverick, mm -hmm. they're going in where there's a high surface to air threat, there's enemy air threat, there's a, you know, they have terrain avoidance because they're flying at low altitude. The pilot can focus on those things while the Wizzo's in the backseat, finding the target on the FLIR, looking for air-to-air -air threats that may be coming using the radar, 
Uh, looking at other sensors, you know, there's other, like the E2 Hawkeye gives us inputs to our system for potential threats. And we can be concentrating on that while the pilot is flying mm -hmm. the airplane close to the ground, looking for visual uh, threats like a surface-to-air missile that's been launched. So it's really a task separation and task sharing in the cockpit, which makes us, you know, in, in the Navy's, um, in most cases in the Navy, if it's a mission that's high task saturation, they'll tend to send two-seat airplanes in so that you have the ability to share the tasks. Wow, incredible. So that's really what we do. Yeah, Who, who's got, this is, I should know this answer, so it sounds like a dumb question. Who's got the ability to pull trigger on that thing? Do you both? Can both we, pull, drop, right? Can both send munitions? What's what's the availability there? So it's changed. When I was flying, the pilot had uh, the ability to shoot air-to-air -air missiles and drop bombs. In the F-14, I actually, if it was a radar-guided missile, I could shoot it from the back seat. This the Sidewinder heat-seeking missile, only the pilot could shoot, and only he could release bombs. Mm. Now, there was, as I was leaving the F-8, the Super Hornet, they were starting to get weapons release capability in the back seat through software upgrades. But like I said, in the F-4, even back in the late 60s when the F-14 was developed, if it was the Phoenix missile or the Sparrow missile, I could shoot it from the back seat because I'm I'm running the radar. I'm selecting mm -hmm. which target we're going to be shooting at. So I have that that information at you know readily available, and I'm actually doing that. So I could shoot those, but with a heat-seeking missile, um, the pilot was the one who, you know, usually that's a within visual range missile. So he's got the ability to shoot that alone. I didn't wouldn't have it from the back seat. So I think right now the Wizzo can drop web drop weapons and shoot missiles from the back seat. But at the time when I was flying the Super Hornet, it wasn't set up that way. What do those two aircraft end up being the Blue Angels? Um the Blue Angels were flying F-18Cs, A's and C's, so the original version, and now they're actually, they've transitioned into the Super Hornet. So they're Sweet. flying F-18E, which is a single. So the F-18EF comes in both a single seat and a two seat missionized version. Well, you can missionize or set them up as trainers. So, but they, in the fleet, were buying both, were flying both single and two seat. So the Blue Angels are flying the E model, which is a single seat Super Hornet. Awesome. And that transition just happened last, I think last season. Cool. All right, so I had Lieutenant Colonel Jeff Spanky Peterson on who flew the Payhawk helicopter that rescued Navy SEAL Marcus Luttrell during Operation Red Wings. And uh, and we didn't pick apart the movie Lone Survivor, but he told me just mm -hmm. a lot about what really happened, you know, in that moment. And it's an incredible film and just right an, an amazing show of what our nation's willing to do to go get one asset and how we'll move heaven and earth mm -hmm. to do it. But obviously there were just differences you know, the, the top gun movies are built off of sort of fiction, right? Not built off of real events, but they are built off of real things that, that could happen. And they're thrilling. The first one was great. I thought the second one was outstanding. I, mean, I just thought it visually was incredible. The technology to get in cockpit and just show you those things, having a guy like Cruz, who I think I mean, actually flies helps. Mm -hmm. So I have asked this before, just, just your thoughts on those and just uh, how much of it, from the operations inside the cockpit is, is realistic beach volleyball, right? Kelly McGillis. Aside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Well, first of all, big picture. What I loved about the second one, you know, the first one, the Kelly McGillis love, all that stuff was just, it was kind of two storylines yeah. that were kind of given as equal weight. Right. Whereas in the Top Gun Maverick, it was more focused Ton on of flying, the flying. And stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And the, you know, in his relationship with that Penny Benjamin or whatever. Yeah. But the Easter egg, the way, they, the way they tie it yeah. back to the Admiral's daughter, <laughs> exactly. looks pretty yeah. damn good. Yeah. The tiebacks are great. Right. It was just a, but it was a side storyline, whereas it was so focused on the aviation side of it, which I love. Sure. Um, but 
The other thing about it is the realism of the, the latest one is so much better. And I'll give you yeah. a small example. Yeah. So in the Super Hornet, you, you have a G limiter on the airplane. So based on gross weight, it'll only give you so many Gs, uh, seven and a half being the maximum at its fighter, you know, gross weight. Um, so, it, and as your weight increases, it gives you less and less G available so that you don't overstress the airplane. Yeah. You know, and the computers are so smart. The flight control computers are incredibly smart. But there's one thing that you can do to override that system. And that's, there's a, a switch on the on the pilot's flight control or his flight stick that it's called the paddle switch. It's right by his, his uh, pinky finger. And he can pull that as he puts G on and overstress the airplane. So it's basically like I'm in an emergency situ situation. I need more G yeah. than the airplane will give me. So you depress that and you pull. And, it and you might, you might have like more. one shot at that, right? Like you can't over you, you got to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't do it on, if you want to try to, if you're fighting somebody and you want to beat them, you don't use that thing all the time. It's more of a, I you have to get to out this yeah. G. Sure. And in the, in the movie, um, as they're pulling off target where they're doing like a nine G pull to avoid the mountain. Yeah. They, you see them actually reach down and grab the paddle switch before he pulls. And I'm like, man, that's a, that's something that nobody mm. who other than people who fly the airplane would even notice. I'd have to go and back and watch it again and, and watch for that detail. Yeah. It's just a really small detail. So things like that and the communications between the cockpits and between the airplanes and with the E2 and the ship, that was so much more realistic. You know, the first one was just like, Yeehaw, we're lighting our hair on fire. Go get them, Mav. Yeah. Whereas in this one, it was much more professional and much more in line with how we actually speak in the airplane. Uh, so those types of things. And then you talked about the F-14. What I thought was really cool, um, if we were at like an airfield where they weren't familiar with F-14s, the pilot would get in, the Rio would set up, you know, help them hook up the electricity and the, the huffer, you know, the, the starter air. And... Once we got the one engine started, the right engine started, the Rio would unconnect everything and then jump on the, the horizontal tail, climb up onto the back of the airplane and then get in his seat. And that's exactly how they did it in the movie. I was watching that going, obviously they asked an old F-14. Yeah, guy, they must have consulted with you? some guys that have been in those. Yeah. yeah. And details like that, other than people who've flown the airplane would never notice it. So there's no reason for Hollywood to put that in there. Because it's something so that you got to give them some credit movie. on that, right? Like, yeah, you yeah. got to think like, you know, th there's a lot of crap in Hollywood, which be candid, right? But the fact mm -hmm. that they'd make a movie like this and go to the lengths to then adhere to some of those little details that only you guys are going to know. Exactly. That, I think that's pretty cool, man. And I think, I think, and, and that my guess is maybe those are cruise things. He's a little nutty, right? I just, he's a little nutty in some things, but maybe his attention to detail being, being a uh, an amateur pilot, darn near professional, honestly, mm -hmm. the amount he's flown, yeah. you know, maybe that some of that pays off. I think that was his plane too that they're cleaning up at the end, and that he's flying around. And I think that P fifty one, yeah, 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 that was his. And yeah, my buddy's got yeah. my buddy has one that's very similar. He's taking me up in it. It's a it's a blast. I mean, it's like driving yeah. a sports car up in the air. All right, yeah. let me spoiler alert. We're gonna put up the spoiler <laughs> alert sound effect here. We don't have that, but that's fine. I felt like they kind of jumped the shark when they went behind enemy line style and they had, you know, they had punched out. They're both still alive. They're on the ground. They're running through the snow to get to this <laughs> aircraft that's magically waiting in a hangar with munitions. And they both pull the red thing and head on out. So <laughs> that to me was the only moment where I was like, man, I thought it would have been kind of cool if Mav would have sacrificed himself to save the kid and all that. But 
it was still pretty badass the way they got it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're the, the funny part was when they, he ran up to him and he just nails him and knocks him to the ground. He's like, you know, you're supposed yeah. to be back in the ship, know. you know. <laughs> you know, he's that that <laughs> the whole jump of the shark, you're right, but that one part where he But it was him, cool. It was pretty it cool. It was funny. Yeah, it was pretty funny. So yeah. Oh, man. I yeah. love it. All right. Top gun aside, we had to have a little bit okay. of to get your professional perspective on it. It is a blast of a movie. We put the spoiler alert up there. So if you're mad at me for telling you what happens, you still can go watch <laughs> it. It still is great. It's all good. You mentioned before, and we love to lean in here and pick up the six talking about service before self strength of purpose and community impact. And so we've talked about your service before self, but really that strength of purpose, like you talked about came a little bit later. You're in Texas and you talk about mm-hmm. kind of coming back to the faith. And, and realizing that I'm not the center of the universe and, and figure some stuff out. And I know that's a big reason behind Top Gun for God. And, it, and it's a very unique kind of title. Great title, by the way. I think it's a great way for people to see that and be like, well, that looks cool. Uh, how my years flying United States Navy fighters opened my eyes to see the glory of God. So tell me a little bit about that journey and then the want and desire to put it into a book like this. Yeah, so I grew up in a very, my mom had great faith. I mean, to the day she died, she attended church every day. Um, you know, she was a great example of faith, but I I kind of accepted my faith as a, uh, you know, kind of a obligation and condemnation kind of thing. If I didn't do the right things, I felt like God was mad at me. So it was a really very religious, uh, religious feeling that I had. Yeah, I felt yeah. like I was always trying to, trying to meet some standard so that God would, you know, would, would like me and allow me into heaven. Well, as I said, I ended up in Texas. I go to uh, a men's ministry called Wingman, a uh, little plug there. Um, and it was started by a former Air Force A-10 pilot football player who had won three Super Bowls with the Cowboys. Uh, Chad Hennings is his yeah. name. Um, Chad started this thing. He said, hey, men's ministry, I don't feel like it's done well in the church. So I want to start a men's ministry. And it's literally just Christ-centered men getting together, doing life together, fighting spiritual warfare together. And so he started with just another guy and, and and it ended up getting really big. So I attended one of their events and I literally heard what it was to have a relationship with Jesus Christ for the first time in my life. And it was, I mean, it was life-changing instantly that day, May 25th, 2012. Uh, I had been forced to go there by an old squadron mm-hmm. mate who I'd flown F-14s with, um, who told me in no uncertain terms that I would go, uh, even though I had blown him off multiple times. And it, it changed my life. And I, I tell him I have, I owe him for the eternal, the change of eternal eject, uh, trajectory of my yeah. life. You know, it's, it's changed everything. So it just, once I got in a relationship with Jesus, I just caught on fire and um, I just started feeling, I had a dream life. I flew F-14s, f eight everything I ever wanted in life I had achieved. And now I know, you know, it was, it was God in my life the whole time. So I started feeling like, you know, you hear, you know, great testimonies, guys who are hooked on drugs, who are in prison, who, you know, their whole life has fallen apart and they come to Jesus. And I started thinking, you know, there's a lot of guys out there who are CEOs of corporations who have a lot of money, who've had a lot of success. They've had a lot of accolades and they don't see the need for for a relationship with Jesus. You know, I got my mm-hmm. life figured out. I'm type A. I do everything. You know, people listen to me. I got plenty of money. I have no worries in the world. And I started thinking, you know, at some point, all that's going to fail. Oh, it, yeah. Even if it's on your deathbed, yep. you know, that all the money in the world, all the power in the world is going to do nothing for you yep. when it comes time to face eternity. That's right. And I started feeling like maybe I could 
maybe I could communicate the importance of a relationship with Jesus Christ based on my life, my dream life. You know, I, I talked to guys who are CEOs of co- corporations and said, man, I would love to do what you did just once. Yeah. Um, it gives so you started- such an incredible Avenue, right? Tim, like, so let me, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to grab you in with this thing. Okay. We're going to bring in this <laughs> Naval aviator, right? Guys phone the most elite fighters in the Navy. He's gone to top gun. Like we're going to hook you with that. God's blessed you with that incredible upfront. That's hard to say no to. Now let's get real and let's talk about this real relationship. What a beautiful way to approach it. Yeah. It, and I just, I literally, I started thinking that. And one day I was walking my chocolate lab in, uh, in Texas. And I literally, I'm not one of those people who has, you know, feels like they have conversations with God, yeah. you know, like, like the Holy, I hear the Holy spirit speak to me and I'm walking my dog. And all of a sudden I just hear the words clearly as can be write the book. And I just kept hearing it just weird times of the day. I'd hear, write the book, write the book. So I consulted a good fr- a friend of mine. Who's also a spiritual mentor of mine in Texas, Dudley hall. And I said, Hey, this is what I'm, this is what I'm feeling, but you know, who wants to hear my story? Who, who wants to read my book? And Dudley said, you know, when I wrote grace works, which is his first book, he said, uh, I was having the same conversation and the Holy spirit said, I will read it. Who else matters? And whoa. I was like, ooh. Whoa, dude. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, like <laughs> I'm like, you can't, I'm like chicken skinned up to the max at this point. Wow. Yeah. So when Dudley said that, I was like, okay, well, that's a that's a pretty clear indication that it doesn't that's matter amazing. if it ever if if I never sell a copy, at least I'll have you know been obedient and 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 written this written this book. So wow. So I read I wrote it, um, went through a process. Obviously, it's a long process. It took a long time because I wasn't really focused on it, but mm. when I finally settled down. What I decided was the the format would be a, tell an aviation story, and then tie it to a principle of faith. I so, God, I love it. I can't wait. To, I can't wait to read this. I can't. I mean, legit, got it yesterday. Like the timing was great. I can't wait. <laughs> wait to read this, and I'm excited for that that process. My friend Thad Forrester uh, wrote this book right here about his brother Mark was killed in combat, Air Force combat controller, my brother in arms, amazing hero. Thad does the same thing. He tells stories about sort of their childhood coming up, then flash forward to right Mark's career and how he ultimately paid that price. It's a great yeah. approach to do. I can't wait to do it. Guys, the title of the book is Top Gun for God, How My Years Flying United States Navy Fighters Opened My Eyes to See the Glory of God. Available where? Amazon, all those Amazon. places, yeah. right? Yeah, I just self-published through Amazon. So uh, yeah. Um, yeah, good. So it's good. available there. I want to talk about spiritual warfare before that. Let me read something that's on the back of the book, because I want you just to give us a little teaser, right? So it can entice them to go pick this thing up. You're talking about doing a seven-day currency window, right? Required for carrier pilots to stay qualified for night carrier operations. All in all, quote, this was going to be an easy night, or so I thought. Right. That uh, is the beginning of my story of my ejection out of an F-14. So night catapult shot, big moon is going to be, like I said, going to be an easy night. And uh, shortly thereafter, I uh, found myself floating in the water with uh, 100,000 tons of diplomacy coming straight at me. Jeez. And my airplane that I just been in exploding in a fireball. Uh, <laughs> so uh, that's guys, that's if, that, if that's, that's not te- if that's not teaser enough <laughs> to go pick this book up, uh, that's incredible. Uh, my dad punched out of an F-111 in the early 80s. They're flying F-111s out of um, Upper Hayford Air Force Base. They took a goose strike mm-hmm. to the nose, just 
blew up the whole thing and him and born to die. Great nickname, by the way, for a guy you're going to punch yeah. out with. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> had to punch out and you know very blessed right still with us could have gone another way i can't wait to read that story guys i know you're excited too so pick that book up we're not going to tell it here right you got to go right. get it That's, yeah, you... you're going to be so mad at me listeners like come on b like we want to hear that story <laughs> maybe i'll see if tim can tell it to me when we're done and we could do maybe a little um special release for maybe some of our loyal listeners or something along those lines, whatever you want to do, I'd be happy Cause, to do it. Cause it's incredible. Um, boy, that's amazing. Uh, and I'm sure a scary moment, uh, and a moment where you end up praying a lot more in those kind of moments, huh? Definitely. So. And I didn't know that one of the big things is I didn't know if my pilot had gotten out just oh, based geez. on yeah. when I ejected, right. you know, that was, I was in the water just praying that he was okay. Cause I, I didn't see a, I didn't see a strobe light on, you know, from his yeah. survival equipment or anything. So, yeah, it definitely uh, definitely made me realize, um, yeah, my need for for God. <laughs> yeah, there's no doubt about that. What do you mean by sport spiritual warfare? I I have a sense, but what do you mean by that? Well, people don't realize it. Constantly, we are in spiritual warfare. We're constantly being, we're getting temptation. We're getting attacked by Satan. You know, mm-hmm. we're being kind of pushed into do this, do that. And when you're, especially when you're isolated, in which you've seen so much of in the yep. recent years, yep. when you're isolated, your mind can start going. You can start believing lies about yourself, about you know your family, about everything, about God, and you need to be, you know, with other Christ-centered men. You know, Paul talks about in Ephesians 6, the armor of God. you got to put on that armor every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't realize how subtle these attacks are and how just little things all throughout your day. Um, I always think of John 15, where Jesus is saying, abide in me. And if you're not, if you're not connected to him at all, you're going to fall victim to these lies. And, uh, you know, I mean, Satan wants to destroy us. Um, even to the yeah, point where our society absolutely. has basically said, hey, Satan's this little redheaded guy or red suited guy with horns and a tail. And he's, you know, it's just he's just a, a, a cartoon character. But in reality, or, or, he or wants he's, to destroy or, us. Or at this point, he's something to be celebrated on national television and, and yeah. emulated like and think and to think that, oh, it's just some actors and some musicians that are, you know. Uh, taking some creative artistic license. I, I don't believe that and something I've been leaning into. And the timing of our conversation is again, not by coincidence. I'm trying to pull it up. I was, I've been watching a video. It's an hour and 45 minutes long. Um, and it's with a priest and it's uh, Michael Knowles is the guy who hosts it. Yeah. And the priest is this exorcist priest. And he's got some amazing stories, but they spend a lot of time talking about the, the, the devil, Satan, Right. And and one of the things they, they were talking about when I was listening to it at the gym this morning, is just sort of in my brain today. And I'd love to talk through with you. This is, this is a conversation that we probably never even had on this podcast. So I'm just excited to be able to do it. They talk about the fact that, all right, so if you're a Christian believer, right, and you believe that Jesus was the son of God, came to earth to absolve of our sins, was crucified, died, buried, rose again, lived for like another 40 days, performed all these miracles, right, left this legacy. Why is it so hard for you to believe that the devil is real, can manifest, has demons prowling the world? You might not see them, but can infiltrate your brain and your thoughts and your heart and your spirit. Like, why is that that hard to believe too? Because I think that's real, right? And if you think about the fact that there was sort of this war that was waged and the devil was sent off with his minions, he's coming back. And when you talk about spiritual warfare, I believe in it. And it's when you 
are turned to sin. And it's when you get isolated. It's when you continue to go. And like, he is looking for a foothold in there. And I think that's real. Uh, I don't think I know that's real because we've all felt it. We've all felt temptation. We've all done terrible things, bad things that we, you know, need to be absolved of. And it's just, and, and what I do know is this, and I think this is your point and I'll go back to you. You can't do it by yourself. I can't fight the battle by myself. Can't do yeah. it. You absolutely can't. It, it is a hundred percent real. And one of the big things that men, I think men deal with something I've dealt with my whole life is, you know, when I was younger, I was, do, I was doing things to, I thought was great. You know, it gave me pleasure, gave me fun. I did all the things that guys did when they were younger. And now I look back and it, it causes shame and boy, Satan loves that shame. Cause he will keep telling you, you're not good enough to be, you know, mm. you're not good enough to be a, a follower of Jesus. You know, you're, You've done all this stuff in your life and that spiritual warfare, the constant attack, the constant trying to drive you away from a relationship with Jesus. You need other guys who say, hey, I've got I've had the same I've dealt with the same problems or I've dealt with different problems. But it all leads down the same path of self-condemnation. We're American men. So we're very self-reliant. We're very self-sufficient. You know, we think we can pull our bootstraps up and keep going. And when it comes to spiritual warfare, we need we need our brothers. We need, that's why Chad calls the ministry wingman. Yeah. In military aviation, you don't go over bad guy country without a wingman to give you mutual support. You're looking out, you're checking each other's sixes, looking out for threats, you know, and that you don't do that. And if that's how you have to do it when you're flying an airplane over enemy territory, when we're getting constantly attacked by Satan in our daily lives, we need yeah. to have that wingman who's yeah. going to, and you know, the, the SEALs call it a swim buddy. Um, yep. There's, uh, there's a Perdic, referred the, to right battle buddy swim buddy your exactly. wingman right yeah. like uh, all those different things yeah, yeah so and no matter what community you're in, in 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 the military you always have mutual support from a brother or a mm-hmm. sister you know yeah. um, you always have that mutual support and it, it's even more important when you're talking about your eternal destiny you know you, you are it is so important and I mean again in Ephesians six Paul tells us we fight all the time against spirit in the spiritual realm. You know, yeah. we need to just suit up in our armor and we suit up in our armor and we, we go arm in arm with our brother and we, yep. we fight that battle. Uh, it's man, especially in American culture Yep. between how Americans, it's great. It's great that we are, you know, it's great stand, that we're connected. It's great that stuff. we've got all these things, right. We've got this entertainment, but I yep. think we've got to continue to, sort of my charge for this episode is to open our eyes and, and look for those moments where in which we can be compromised. Exactly. Cause that spiritual compromising is, uh, that's what he's looking for. Um, exactly. And then you think about, right. Earth, yeah. I mean, if, if you, you know, if you live a long life, we're going to be on earth in eighties, nineties, whatever. Finite eternity, amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. Eternity is forever. And, and, you know, you don't want to spend that separated from God. I mean, yeah. I mean, let's say you don't believe that. Are you willing to risk? Like, what are you willing to risk for yeah. while you're here on this earthly earth? You know, I mean, like it's just, and it's a, it's a heavy conversation. It's one you guys got to look internally to, but then my biggest thing is like, you just can't do it on your own. One of the greatest gifts that God brought to me is this group called F3, where I'm around these other accelerating men dedicated to their fitness fellowship and faith. And in that I've got real relationship and we've got a no, oh, yo mindset, no on your own. Right. You just can't do it on your own. You need a shield lock around you. You need other people around you. And honestly, as men, you need other men around you. You need other men around you 
Right. And I'm just speaking specifically from that standpoint is you've got to do that battle there. And then look like by doing that, by protecting yourself spiritually, then you get to hear stories about our friend, Jeff Struker, who was at Mogadishu in 93, who was on this podcast. And he, and they share stories where other soldiers watched him walk into the battlefield. Like they'd never seen somebody before. Like he, like he had this aura around him and walked back out because he put on the armor Yeah, and put on the armor first and foremost spiritually yeah it protected him that was it was a miracle that he survived that i really believe that that's amazing yeah yeah it's funny you mentioned mogadishu on my first deployment when all when when all that happened the battle of mogadishu and the black blackhawks were shot down i was on uss abraham lincoln and uh, we finished night ops in the persian gulf we were doing uh southern watch mm-hmm. enforcing the no-fly zone and when that, an aircraft that flag, goes that, full flag speed, that flag right there, Southern Watch over my shoulder. Is it really cool? Yep, F-15. Um, yep. But uh, when you, an aircraft carrier is going at full speed, they don't put they don't even put it up on the screen. Like they take everything down, so you don't know how fast we're going because it's Jeez. highly classified. Wow. But you know it's happening, and we're like, we finish flight ops, we start heading, we start going really fast. We're like. I wonder what's going on. We're obviously going somewhere. The next morning they told us we're, we're going, going somewhere with in, with intentionality. Like we're moving. Yeah. With intention. Yeah. So the next, the next morning we show up, or I think it was a day and a half later, we show up and I go up on the flight deck and there's Mogadishu right in front of us. And our air wing commander said, okay, F-14s, we're giving you extra gas. You're going to go supersonic over the city and thump them with sonic booms. Let them know we're here. Whoa. And the A-6s, the A-6s went down low and we're doing, uh, close air support just raging over the city at you know 500 knots at 500 feet so uh yeah we showed up and soon after that i did said hey here you go here's here's your warrant officer back <laughs> so yeah sometimes you got to bring the full might right i mean yeah. that's what happened in that occasion you guys didn't drop any munitions up there but you were just sending were the a6 a6s were right they weren't dropping the. Uh, they didn't have any targets to drop on, but they just you. had them. Do, That's right. Sim, you know, do all on the ground. Support. All on the ground. Yeah, yep. Just, yeah, just to show our presence. But um, you know, obviously, after reading the book Black Hawk Down and seeing, you know, seeing the movie, it's just. I mean, we didn't even know what we were getting to. We knew that something had happened and a Black Hawk was shot down. But boy, those the experience. The guys on the ground. I give them so much credit because yeah. we're so sanitized at you know fifteen thousand feet above it. Those guys are right. Yeah, but you know what those guys on the ground tell you? And I saw Lowell tell you this last week. And I've heard right from Struker and those guys that were on the ground, uh, guys like Tim Brown, uh, combat controllers, right, that were part of that. Knowing that that aircraft is up above, whether it's A6s, right, you guys in what you're in, whether it's gunships, F-15s, or even that of the A-10 coming through, right, many times in the mountains of Afghanistan or in the deserts of Iraq, like the, the, the confidence that it brings that soldier on the ground, that warrior on the ground, that operator on the ground. Uh, and, and everybody's got a role to play, right? Because mm-hmm. in those moments, you got Air Force, you got Army, you got Navy, you got Marines, you got everybody working in unison. And it shows the might that is the red, white, and blue. We can't forget that. That's right. And being a, being a Navy guy, Annapolis grad, I can't stand Army, anything about it. Right. Um, that but, moment? Yeah, that's right. But when you're overhead and you hear shooting, and then they call back and say, "Because you showed up overhead, they're not shooting at us anymore." It's, that's the most rewarding. That literally is the most rewarding part of my career is supporting troops in contact in Afghanistan, and just our presence makes the Taliban run. It was just yeah. I loved I loved protecting those guys on the ground. You know, to have yeah. utmost respect for them. And then over the radio, you can just as you're peeling off, happy to support, go Navy. <laughs> 
Exactly. Beat <laughs> Army. <laughs> Man, I love that football game. I got we've got great memories as kids. You know, growing up in an Air Force house, we were sort of neutral, right? We had a we mm-hmm. had an affinity to the Navy. My grandfather was on the USS Terry in World War II out in the Pacific, uh, there during uh, Iwo Jima and all that. So we always sort of had, you know little bit of an affinity to the Navy, right? Love the Air Force with dad being in the Air Force. My brother's in the Space mm-hmm. Force now, but Navy was always sort of, you know, our second favorite quote. <laughs> but we got, we went to a few Army Navy football games as sort of, you know, neutral. Okay. Or we, we even used to, when my dad was at the Pentagon, they would host, right? So like, hey, if you want to get Army and Navy guys together, we'll host at the Air Force house so you can watch it here on neutral ground. And uh, awesome. we were at that, we were at that game at the vet uh, in the nineties when the, when the stands broke, it was wild. In yeah remember that yeah i do yeah love that game man i love that it's america's game it gets its own weekend yeah it's, uh, it's good football sometimes it's not always the great it's not always the best <laughs> it's good and those guys give it all they got man. agreed yeah exactly i think um uh trying to blank right now on his name but uh, one of the football uh clint bruce mm. he played army navy seal uh very decorated seal he also played yeah. in the nfl a little bit he said that he was asked what's your what's the favorite football game you ever played in? He did play in the NFL and he said, army Navy yeah. and the interviewer yeah. asked him why. And he said, it's the only football game ever played where everybody on the field will give their life for everybody in the stands. That's right. So, yep. That's, that's well said, Tim, this has been an absolute blast. Brian, I've I mean, loved I, it. I've loved it. I've just, I'm so grateful to talk about your service, but then also to lean in on the faith component, which I know our audience is really going to like. And uh, I think it's important. Um, And so before we go, I want to read one piece of scripture because it just, it's become one of my new favorites. And I think it's important to our, uh, our sort of conversation today. And I have to read it because I'm not the best at always remembering. I'm very good at remembering the gist, right? I'm good at the Mm -hmm. gist, right? (laughs) Me too. (laughs) I want to read this and we'll tell folks where they can find your book before we go. It's one Peter chapter five, verse eight through 11. It's become one of my new favorites because it relates to the spiritual warfare. And because I think as we continue to, I know you do a lot of this. I do a lot of it here through this podcast, through other activities, through F3, through things with NGBN.TV, right? Where we're just with men engaging in that. And it reads like this, be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, right? There's where we, you and I talked about the realness of it. Here's my favorite part. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering is acquired of your brotherhood throughout the world. So there's, you're not alone, right? He's out there. He's real. He's coming for you. Here's the best part. Resist him. There's others out there battling it too. You're not by yourself and you can do it. And sometimes it feels like the weight of the world will be crushing you. Guys, you're listening. Guys, gals, listening. Sometimes you feel like, God, just there's too much. There's too much with work and the mortgage and kids activities and all that. He wants you to feel like you're overwhelmed and you can't get away from it. Quiet down, take a moment, look to the creator. If you're a Christian like Tim and I look to the cross, stare at it, look at it. There it is. There's your answer right there. Every time. Amen. All right. Tell us where we can get the book. I want to make sure folks go pick it up. We've already plugged it a bunch, but man, it's great. I can't wait to read it. Uh, over some spring break activities here. So just give us give us the data download. All right, Amazon.com. I, I published uh, through Amazon. I figured I'd use you know the evil empire to to spread the word of God. So uh, good way to do Amazon. it. No, I'm with you, man. <laughs> Absolutely. So so yeah, just go to Amazon.com, type it in the in, in the search there, and uh, it'll pop up. So you can buy it in Kindle, hardcover, or uh, paperback. So 
uh, uh, you can get it right away. Download it on your Kindle and start reading today. I love it. He's Tim Gamash. The name of the book is Top Gun for God, How My Years Flying United States Navy Fighters Opened My Eyes to the Glory of God. It's got a sweet. Would you, did, you, did you take a selfie? What'd you take this selfie with? That's a selfie. The cockpit here? Are you using That's a, a selfie? What are you using? Just a digital camera. Just, <laughs> I, I mean, this is back. I took that. That's what I was thinking. I was like, this camera. is, yeah, this isn't smartphone territory. No, it was, uh, it was just a digital camera. I always had a camera. I just kept it in my bag all the time. If I saw something, I would, uh, I'd take a photo. Well, um, Mav, Mav took photos. Mav and Goose took photos of. of yeah, Vegas. inverted. I tell you the one, the one, my last thing on Top Gun, <laughs> and then you give me one more thing before we go here. Yeah. I'm an Air Force kid growing up, right? Like we watched Top Gun and they're fighting the bad guys. I'm like, yeah, but those are T-38s. Like those are the good guys. Yeah. <laughs> T-38s my whole life. Don't shoot I those know. guys. That's my dad. <laughs> but they're painted black with a red star. So yeah, that's right. that's right. Yeah. Um, real quick on the cover, uh, I had took that picture in, uh, I think it was 2006, uh, had a coworker of mine. She's a great graphic artist and she did, she did the cover for me and, and formatted the book. She came to me afterwards and she said, when did you put the cross in the, on the cover? And I was, I asked her, what are you talking about? Whoa, Just to on the, the left? left of my head. Oh my God. <laughs> I had had that picture since 2006. This is 2021 or 22 that I, she's pointed out to me. Um, is my, you should be, if you're watching on YouTube, yeah. right? Video. Cause we air these with video too. You can see it right there. And if you're not go find us on the YouTube version, right. And we'll put you, the picture of this will be on our show page too. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. That was not, that was the vertical part of the cross is my kneeboard, the paper on my kneeboard. Um, so, you know, we always write notes. We have a piece of paper. Oh yeah. Just reflected up on the cockpit. It reflected up on the cockpit and the horizontal bar is just the cloud. The, the sun was lighting up a cloud. So that was kind wow. of confirmation Bro. when I used it in the cover photo. <laughs> Bro. I'm gonna get emotional, man. Like that's yeah. That's awesome. I felt like that was confirmation that I was supposed to write the book. That so. is awesome. Write the <laughs> quote, write the book. Or like your other friend, I will read it. Come on, guys. <laughs> It's almost too much for him, man. It's amazing. <laughs> I've absolutely loved it, my brother. Thank you for doing this. Me too. Uh, we had Thanks a blast. So much, Let's stay in touch, man. And uh, definitely, guys, go support him. Top Gun for God. Great book. Tim's a great guy. Uh, Tim, for all you've done on behalf of our nation, for all you continue to do, and our world, man, and the souls of the world, we're grateful for you and we appreciate it. Thank you. I'm blessed to do it. He's Tim Gamash. I'm Brian Jodis. That has been this episode of Pick Up the Six Podcast.